We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. There has been a pattern uh, throughout this series with all the, the, the men who come up here. And I'm going to con- continue in that pattern into saying that I'm not an expert on what we're about to talk about tonight. Um, as with many of the people who have stood up here before me, um, most of the examples that we've heard are of how we have failed in this regard. And so tonight when we talk about judging others, I don't want you all to think that I'm an expert on uh, not judging others. I am definitely a judgmental person in a, in a judgmental world. And all you've got to do is talk to my wife, CJ, and she will tell you all about it. <laughs> I mean, it comes to, she does the laundry and she does a great job, but I like my pants folded a certain way. And if she doesn't fold them that way, we gotta have a serious conversation. And so I want you all to know that, yes, this, I'm preaching this to me just as much as I'm preaching it to anybody here, and, I want, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm glad I got to study it, and I'm looking forward to, to it pushing me to be not so judgmental. Uh, and, and then on the, on the flip side of that, I also want to uh, thank God so much for giving me a wife who is patient and endures through my judgmental and sometimes harsh attitude. And so uh, let's read our passage tonight. Verse 1 in Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. My favorite movie, first of all, let's, okay, first of all, I want to see a show of hands if you've ever heard the name Eric Little. All right, all right, good. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire. 1980s, Oscar-winning, best soundtrack. Okay, not that many people. It is my favorite movie. It is two hours long. There's only about five minutes of action, but it all builds up, and so it's super good. It's about this guy named Eric Little who uh, was an Olympic gold medalist, I think, in the 1926 100-meter race. I think that's accurate. And so in this movie, Chariots of Fire, uh, Eric Little is, is this Christian, and when he's not running, he's a missionary in China, by the way. And uh, so he's this Christian runner who's trying to run and be this Olympic star, but also carry out and walk his faith. And so this movie displays like really, really good how he does that. I mean, at some point in the movie, which isn't exactly historically accurate, uh, he he. F- he is at the point where he says, I am not even going to qualify for the Olympics because the race is on a Sunday. And he believed that on Sundays he didn't run because it was the Lord's Day. That's how committed he was. He was going to give up all hopes of becoming an Olympic champion because he was so focused on glorifying God that that was more important to him. And so it's, in many ways, Eric Little to me is this hero of the faith. He went on to be a missionary, actually was martyred in China a couple years after winning an Olympic gold medal. Um, and so this hero to me in, in many ways is me trying to pursue cycling but also have my faith be the number one thing in my life. I looked to Eric Little in so many ways. And in reading one of his biographies, I was 
uh, I was, I don't know, uh, I, I, I found it really, really interesting that he spent so much significant amount of time studying the Sermon on the Mount. And it, it talked about how he, he knew it, he memorized it, he applied it, and he had spent a really, really large portion of his time just knowing the Sermon on the Mount. That was one portion of Scripture that he really, really just delved into. And so when I knew that we were going through this series, I was super excited because here's this guy that I look up to and in many ways want to uh, represent and want to uh, follow after as an example, and he was so focused on the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things that he, as his motto uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that he said was, we will never be perfect, but we should certainly try. And that was his mindset. And as somebody who was probably one of the most disciplined people uh, there could be to win an Olympic gold medal, to be a missionary, uh, to be martyred, he knew what it, what it took to be disciplined. And for, to hear him say things like, I know that I cannot be perfect, but I want to do everything that I can to be as close to that as I can be. It, it really motivates me, and, and it makes me excited that we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I think of three things that are some big picture ideas before we jump into tonight's passage. And those are, number one, I realize I'm hopeless. And, and luckily, we go to a church where I think this is preached really well. You know, we've been taught through the Ten Commandments, that the Ten Commandments are a set of rules and that we should look to them and try to follow them to the best of our ability. But more than that, when we read the Ten Commandments, it should show us our sinful nature. It should show us how utterly hopeless we are and how much we don't live up to God's standards. And so much so in the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, we've already seen Jesus talking about those Ten Commandments. And when he, if we were to look back at anger, God takes, or Jesus is taking the Ten Commandments and says, okay, the Ten Commandments say, do not murder. All right, and so that's pretty easy. Like, a lot of us don't go around murdering people. So, all right, we got that one. We can go on. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. He says, even if you're angry at somebody and you have anger towards somebody, that is as the equivalent of murdering somebody. So he takes the bar and he raises it so high that we can't even reach it. And we, we start to think like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Like, I don't murder. I don't commit adultery. And then he says, no, 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 no. You are. Like, you, you, you are a murderer. You, you are hopeless. And if we look at lust, it's the same thing. He says, the Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. And we're, oh, okay, yeah. I don't commit adultery, I'm faithful. And then he says, even if you look at somebody with lustful intent, you have committed adultery in your heart. And we're like, whoa, okay. Like he, he just takes the bar and raises it up to another level that we can't even handle. At the end of verse, I mean, the end of chapter five, he, he concludes by saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And there it is. We cannot live up to that standard there's no way that we can be perfect, and therefore we are hopeless. But there is also a solution to this, and that is that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Uh, we put our faith in him, and, and he gives us his perfect life. So the, the perfect life he lived, he swaps that out with our imperfect life on the cross. And so instead of, when we stand before God, God, instead of seeing us in our sin and our imperfect and our disobedience, looks at us and sees Jesus' perfection and sees his righteousness and declares us 
righteous. So the first point is that I am, a ho- I am hopeless. The second point is that I need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. And then thirdly, when I'm looking at the Sermon on the Mount from a big-picture standpoint, I realize it's not, it doesn't just end with believing in Jesus. There's definitely a call to action throughout the entire book. I mean, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a, lot, a wise man who built his house on the rock. So there's this call of, of action. It's not just believing in Jesus and then that's it. It's striving after holiness as Jesus has, has told us to. And so as we delve into tonight's passage on a small picture, I want to carry those three, those three points of I am hopeless, I need a savior, and I still need to strive after holiness into this passage on judging others. And so, number one, I am hopeless. If we look at verses one, verse one, it says, judge not that you be not judged. It's this idea of be careful that you are not so judgmental because God is going to judge you. And he already has judged us in a sense, and his judgment is that you have sinned against me, a righteous and holy God, the righteous and holy God. And because of that sin and because of that disobedience, you deserve eternal punishment. That is our, that is our judgment. Last week in our Sunday morning, uh, Sunday morning, I think for our call to worship, it was Psalm 75. Let me flip there real quick. It says in verses 7 and 8, But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And so there's this this image that we see throughout the Old Testament of a cup of wine that is well mixed, and it is the wrath of God for our sins. And another passage that I hope we're all familiar with, is Matthew 26, 39, where Jesus, the night before his crucifixion, says, let this cup pass from me, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that shows us that Jesus understood this image of this cup of wine that God had mixed that is the wrath of God, the judgment of God upon the wicked. And from Psalm 75, we know that we are the wicked. We know that we can't live up to God's perfect law. And he's going to pour out this cup of wrath upon us if we do not put our faith in Jesus. And what Jesus does on the cross, and he knew this because when he prayed, let this cup pass from me, he, he had that image of the, the cup of the wine of God's wrath in his mind. And he knew that on the cross, the judgment of God for the wicked of the world was going to be poured out upon him, and he was going to bear that judgment. And because of that, we now bear his judgment, which is a a right relationship with God. He took our sins on the cross. He took the judgment we deserved on the cross, and he gave us the judgment he deserved through his perfect life. And so I am hopeless, and I need a Savior, uh, and Jesus is that Savior, and he takes the judgment that we deserve. But then number three, I need to pursue holiness. And so looking at this passage and the big picture of, of pursuing holiness, I believe that judgment should be used for the benefit of holiness, and that's where we're going to be the rest of tonight. And I don't think Jesus meant don't judge at all, because in, in John 7, 24, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, 
but judge with right judgment. And so we see Jesus saying, you are supposed to judge, but there's a certain type of judgment that we should avoid and another type of judgment that we should pursue. Uh, Matthew Henry talking about this says, because we must not judge others, which is a great sin, it does not therefore follow that we must not reprove others, which is a great duty and may be a means of saving a soul from death. And so there's these, these two types of, of holiness that we are called to, or judgment that, that he is explaining here. And I think it's a, there's a harmful type of judgment and there's a holy type of judgment. Harmful type of judgment looks, the focus is on self. It's, it's focused on us rather than others. And what this looks like, what harmful judgment, uh, some characteristics of a harmful judgment would be uh, that it is hypocritical. If you look at verse 5, it says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so it's hypocritical. And that word hypocrite comes from um, acting. You know, when you get up on a stage and you put a mask on, you're pretending to be something that you're not, and so when you are judging somebody, you are hypocritical if you are calling them out on something small, and yet there is this huge sin in your own life, and it might even be the same exact sin that you're calling them out on, and that is what we know as hypocritical. Another characteristic of it is prideful. Uh, Usually, when we're calling somebody out in a harmful kind of way like this, where we're harmfully judging them, it's usually to puff ourselves up and to tear them down. Um, and so that's prideful. And another characteristic of harmful judgment is that it's quick to anger. And I, I think of passages like James 1.19 that says, uh, be slow to speak and slow to anger, but quick to hear. And, and oftentimes when we are judging other people, we, we do it so rashly and so quickly and we're quick to jump on somebody else's case before we even look in the mirror and examine ourselves first. Another characteristic of harmful judgment is that it's harsh. Uh, We don't go to them with gentle words or out of a spirit of kindness or love, but rather we're harsh in that we are rude or even condescending towards them. Um, The way that we use our words are, again, to tear them down and not build them up. And then lastly, a characteristic of harmful judgment is that it's strict. Verse 2 says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And when I read this, it it sounds like Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were known for their strictness. They were the guys that took the Old Testament law and added stuff to it just to make it more and more strict and harder to follow. And, and so they were known for being this strict, strict group of people. And it seems like Jesus is talking straight to, those, to, the, to the Pharisees. But what I want us to see is that he's talking to us as well. It's so easy for us to fall into that, into this harmful judgment of being strict and making extra rules and and. and making this strict standard that we expect other people to follow that, that we, don't, we can't even follow up to. But then there's also this, this holy judgment. And the, and the focus of this holy judgment, which oftentimes we, we hear as reproof or correction, uh, those are two words that stick out to me when I think of this holy judgment, is the focus is on others and not on ourselves. 
And see, if we look at this verse, it does start with judge not, but it also ends with take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so there is a sense, in, a very real sense, in which we are called to help our brothers take the speck out of their eyes. And I don't think it means don't judge at all. It does mean to help your brother to take the speck out of his, his eye. And I think that the key to God-glorifying judgment is a heart that is focused on the holiness and good of the other, not on self. Let me repeat that. The key to God-glorifying judgment is a heart that is focused on the holiness and good of the other, not on self. Uh, Stuart Scott, in his book, Exemplary Husband, which, by the way, I'm reading, (laughs) as you might have known earlier, um, he says that if you truly love somebody, their holiness is going to be your top priority. And, And that goes really well with this, in that, we're not going to be afraid to call out somebody on their sin because we are not, we're not wanting to puff ourselves up. We're not even thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about them and their walk with God and their holiness and their relationship with God. And, and a, a passage that really, really explains, explains this well is Galatians 6.1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restrain him or restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so here we are. Paul calls us, through the word of God, to call out our brothers. If anybody is caught in transgression, if anybody is sinning against God, we must go to them, we who are spiritual, we must go to them in order to restore them. And then he adds on, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, which I think this is a, a huge point in, our t- in the passage tonight, is that we must examine ourselves and, and take a, a, a really good long look in the mirror before we go to somebody, even if we're going to them with this holy judgment where they're, I am focused on them, but before you go to them, you should spend a really long time looking at you, examining yourself to make sure that you are, are free from this, this sin or friend, free from any big type of sin in your life where, uh, where it would discredit you going to them to try to build them up. And some of the characteristics of what this holy judgment would look like is, is that it would be righteous. And like I said, you've, you've already examined yourself, and so if they are sinning in a certain way, you do not want to be sinning in that way and try to go to them and talk to them and say, hey, you're sinning, you need to stop, and then they just look at you and say, well, what about you? You know, like, there's this real sense in which we should be already living out uh, this part of our life in, in a righteous way that went, so that when we go to them, we have some foundation to stand upon. And then another characteristic of this holy judgment is that uh, you're going to go to them in humility, in, hum- in humbleness. In Galatians 6.3, so just after this verse, in Galatians 6.1, it says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then he says in verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so Paul knew that when we were going to be going to people to call them out on their sin and to help them pursue after holiness and in a real sense be judging them for holiness, for the benefit of holiness, he knew that that pride was going to be an issue that would be 
really common in that scenario. When, it's really easy for us to feel like when we, when we are pointing out somebody else's sin that we are righteous. You know, oh, look how bad they are. That means I am good. And so a very real sense, we should go to them humble, not thinking that way, uh, rather thinking, as he says, that in a week from now, that same person could be coming to you, calling you out on a different sin that you're in. And so uh, that's why he says, lest you be tempted, keep watch on yourself. And then another characteristic of this holy judgment is that it's gentle. Um, we have that in Galatians 6.1. It says, in a spirit of gentleness. So being kind and loving and, and upbuilding to them and not going to them harsh like we've talked about. And then another characteristic of this holy judgment is that it's painful. Um, that word in Galatians 6.1, restore, was actually used for when doctors would set a bone in, you know, if you had broken a bone, they would, uh, they would set it in place for you. And while that is painful, it is definitely good for your overall health. And, and in the same way, uh, when somebody comes to you and, and is is, is, is judging you and calling you out on sin, that is, is hurtful and it's painful, but it's also good for us. Um, it might be a burden to walk around with a, a bright purple cast for three weeks, but the doctor knew what he was doing when he put that cast on you, and he knew that it was better off for you to go through those three weeks or two weeks of burden of, of wearing that cast. Uh, he knew that it would be better off for you to deal with that burden than it would be for you to deal with the, the burden of a broken bone. And in the very real sense, we should be going to people, to our brothers and, and sisters in Christ, pointing out their sin, knowing that it's better for them to be called out on their sin for them, rather than them to keep walking in it. They're, it depends on their, their walk with God. And, and we want to be going to them for their benefit and their holiness. And then I want to look at uh, another so we've already looked at, um, at all of you know, these verses, and I have yet to talk about uh, pigs and, and dogs. And so we've got to handle that verse 6, which for me was really confusing. But um, it says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Did I forget to read that at the beginning? Oh, okay, yeah. All right, so we're, we're at that verse, and I think that that verse is definitely connected with these verses here, even though it seems like we don't even know what he's talking about. At first glance, it, I think he's talking, I mean, it, it seems clear to me that the dogs and the pigs, Jesus is talking about people. And, uh, and I think he's talking about, well, hold on, we'll, we'll get there, hold on. All right, so Matthew Henry says, First, before we get there, hold on. All right, sorry. Matthew 18, getting ahead of myself. Matthew 18, which we should be somewhat familiar with, is uh, church discipline. The verses 15 through 17. It's just a couple pages to the right. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So we see here, uh, a similar thing to Galatians 6.1, somebody has sinned, we're going to them, calling them out on this sin for the benefit of their holiness. The goal is that we might gain a brother. 
And then verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so at a certain point, Jesus tells us there to cast people out from the church. If there is an unrepentant person in the church and they do not want to listen to us and we've gone to them alone, we've gone to them with a group and we've declared it before the church that this person is sinning and we're calling them in the goal of, re, of, of gaining a brother and they are still unrepentant, Jesus says to cast them out as tax collectors. And, uh, and so I think that helps us to understand this passage as well. Do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. In a very real sense, this idea of holy judgment is a, is a good thing for us and a, and a gift from God for us and the church to have to help us to build each other up, to hold each other accountable uh, because we can look to other people to call us out on our sins and to help us live a more holy life. That is good for us. That is good for our relationship with God and it is a gift to the church. Matthew Henry says on this, good counsel and reproof are a holy thing and a pearl. They are an ordinance of God and they are precious. And Proverbs 25, 12 says, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. And so if there are people who we are going to and, and using this holy judgment and, and going to them to judge them, but for the benefit of their holiness, and they don't want to listen to it, then we should consider them as, as dogs and pigs, and, um, and we should cast them out. And they, they are not worthy of this gift that God has given to his church. Uh, Matthew Henry also says, Among the generation of the wicked, there are some that have arrived at such a pitch of wickedness that they are looked upon as dogs and swines, yet Yet we must be very, very cautious whom we condemn as dogs and swine. And so how, how terrible would it be for us to look at somebody and, and, and put them in this category of dog and swine and to, and to dog and pig and to cast them out of the church and to say, oh, they are an unrepentant sinner. They don't, they don't, deserve, uh, they don't deserve my reproof or my correction, and yet the whole time we have this log sticking out of our own eye. May that not be the case with us, Fairdale. And in conclusion, I want to look at our passage that we read, uh, John 8, 1 through 11. We read this at the, as the call to worship. And as a side note, I am aware, Jake uh, mentioned this to me, but I was aware that this uh, is not found in the early manuscripts of, of our scripture. And so we, and I, I think we, and me, like me especially, we would not consider this scripture. Uh, this was not in the original Greek. It's found in several other different places. It's even found in some Greek manuscripts in the book of Luke, which is a whole other book. Um, it's, it's found in different parts throughout the book of John. It doesn't fit with John's writing style. Uh, but I don't want to get too far into that because when I was studying it, um, Guys like John Piper and, and Don Carson, I think is his name, uh, big scholars that, that, that I look up to, that we look up to, they believe that although this isn't scripture, it, it certainly 
uh, seems like it, it could have happened, and it, it did happen. Um, somebody, and, and, and John Piper even says that the truths that are found in this passage can be found throughout other passages of Scripture. So while this might not be, we, not, we might not consider this Scripture, we can still learn from it and, and, uh, and read it. So I'm going to read it. Verse 1. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman, with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. John Piper says, The most remarkable point of this story is that Jesus exalts himself above the law of Moses, changes its appointed punishment, and reestablishes righteousness on the foundation of a grace. The point is not that judges and executioners must be sinless, The point is that righteousness and justice should be founded on a gracious spirit, and if it's not what you get, and if it's not, what you get is the heartless and hypocrisy of Pharisaism. And as we know, Pharisees were known for being this strict and harsh, judgmental group of people that people, when they saw them, they instantly thought, oh, I don't even want to go near them because they're going to, they're going to point out how wrong I am, and they're going to be so judgmental towards me. And the truth is that we live in a society today where when people hear the word Christian, or if you declare yourself to be a Christian, or that you say you are a Christian in front of them, they instantly think judgmental. That is just... That's the world that we live in. Um, I, I, I know that when I'm af- sometimes afraid to say that I'm a Christian in front of certain people because then they're going to think, oh, he's just going to judge me for the way that I live. And, um, and, and in a very real sense, we can't say that they are liars. Uh, they, they only believe that because of the experiences that they've had with Christians in their life. Something that, G- uh, that, that Josh taught me really well when I interned with him was that if people aren't going to church or reading their Bibles, the only way they're going to know anything about God is through the Christians in their life. And so when people all around the world think of Christians and just generalize Christians as this judgmental and harsh and strict and hateful people, uh, that is probably because of the experiences that they've had with Christians. And so it may not be with us that, that we live in such a way that that when they look at us, they think of us judgmental. May, may, may we be people who are loving them and caring for them and not judgmental. Uh, but something that the Pharisees did get right in this, this passage in, in John 8 is that they, they realized that they were sinners. They realized that, that Jesus was right. Um, it said, Jesus says, if, 
if any of you is without sin among you, be the first to throw, throw a stone. And by the end of the day, nobody was there. And we should be encouraged by verses, uh, verses 10 and 11. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we are grateful for Jesus and that he has taken uh, the punishment that we deserve. He's taking the, 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 the judgment that you have poured out upon us. Uh, God, you've poured it out upon him. Uh, we bear it no more. And God, help us to not be judgmental in the way in the way we look at others. May we, may we be people who, uh, if we are aware of sin in somebody else's life, God, may we examine ourselves first, take a, a good long look in the mirror before we go to anybody. God, may you help us to, to be a church that, that lives this out. God, that we are, we are helping one another uh, to strive after holiness by pointing out the sin in one another's lives that, that, that they might gain a brother, that they might restore a soul. God, help us in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.